Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she is away. Today, we'll be talking about some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that is familiar to many, if not most or maybe even all people uh, in America today because of the prevalence of yoga studios on practically every corner. But uh, yoga is actually a Sanskrit word that has a broader meaning. It means much more than just physical exercise. It means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. And today's topic is Vedic Counseling, Universal Wisdom for Health and Happiness. How can the wisdom of the Vedas help us bring greater consciousness, creativity, and happiness to our lives today? Yoga, Ayurveda, and Jyotish, or Vedic Astrology, are all sciences that arise from the Vedas. Vedic counseling brings together these approaches to help us live a life of health, happiness, and spiritual growth. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing how the wisdom of the Vedas can support us in our modern world today. And we couldn't have a better person to discuss this with. My guest is Dr. Suhas Shursagar, author of The Hot Belly diet and co-author with Dr. David Frawley of the book, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling. Dr. Suhas is a classically trained Ayurvedic physician, motivational speaker, and teacher. He is a Rig Vedic Brahmin by tradition, an accomplished clinician by training, and an insightful medical astrologer and Vedic counselor. 
To find out more about his books, teaching schedule, and clinic, see his website at ayurvedichealing.net. Ayurvedic is A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-I-C, healing.net. Welcome, Dr. Suhas. I'm delighted that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste, Laurel. And again, it's a great joy and great honor for me to be on the Yoga Hour uh, show because uh, I greatly respect and admire Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien and Roy Eugene Davis, who have been um, on a tireless pursuit to create awareness of the spiritual tradition of Kriya Yoga because Mm -hmm. um, we all have painfully realized how important it is to have the awareness towards an enlightened way of living and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy and delighted to be on this show today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for those kind words. So before we dive into our dialogue about Vedic counseling, let's begin with a moment of meditation, a yoga moment. Oh. We can begin by bringing our attention to the breath, something that's always with us. So let's turn our attention now and take a fully conscious breath, really noticing as we inhale and exhale, just noticing the breath's natural rhythm, not trying to change it, just noticing. Using our breath to help us bring our attention and awareness to the present wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our heart to the divine, to the divine that is the essence of our being. This one reality called by many names is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and right now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us between us and all around us just by being present now and noticing we can rest in this essence of our being we notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being and allow it to pervade the mental field the emotional nature, and the physical body. 
And we can bring this peace with us through the rest of our day and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Dr. Suhas, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you. So, I know you have been an Ayurvedic physician for many, many years, and Ayurveda was the topic of your first book, The Hot Belly Diet. Um, and then your recent book, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling, which you co-authored with Dr. David Frawley, focuses on incorporating many different aspects of Vedic wisdom into counseling, other things in addition to Ayurveda. So, as Ayurveda is becoming more popular, and there are an increasing number of people practicing also as yoga therapists, so these are two of the, the Vedic sciences, Ayurveda and yoga, why is it important now to study and practice Vedic counseling? What does that Vedic counseling approach bring to these other disciplines? Well, that's a great question. And I think, uh, as you rightly said, Ayurveda is getting very popular along with yoga. Uh, but um, we were kind of uh, missing a very important link in how we were practicing Ayurveda and Vedic medicine um, uh, in India as well as outside India. And that was, it was heavily based upon more like a magic bullet approach of just giving herbs or herbal supplements or doing some body therapies instead of pharmaceutical or drugs. There was no real <clears throat> discussion with the clients about how you can really counsel them, uplift them, motivate them to a positive, healthier lifestyle. And Ayurveda is, in fact, a consciousness-based approach to health and well-being. So uh, spirituality and understanding your spiritual connection has always been the basis of not only Ayurveda, but all the Vedic traditions. And all the different Vedic literatures, whether we talk about uh, Jyotish, whether we talk about Sthapatya Veda, which is the science of building and architecture, the science of music and melodies, which is called as Gandharva Veda, all various disciplines of Vedas are seamlessly integrated with this consciousness theme. And it was it was about time that we we bring back the discussion uh, in uh, yoga therapy as well as Ayurvedic treatment protocols as well as um, uh, the field of medicine where people should go back and really understand the true value of communication and uh, whether no matter what you're practicing at the end of the day it's the art of communication that you have how you inspired your patients and clients and it's a very dynamic and transformative field because we want to change people, not just for a short time, but literally transform them for the awareness for healthier living towards creating happiness in all different aspects of life. So it kind of uh, covers uh, an entire range of life concerns, whether it is health, relationship, career, um, which self-realization is the ultimate goal of that. And that's the reason why we actually came up with this concept where we need to go back to all the yoga teachers, to all the Ayurvedic practitioners, and even lay people to really understand how they communicate with themselves. So that was the very premise of uh, the book of Vedic Counseling. But um, uh, I think when I started initial researching about why we want to really 
talk about this book and everything i was really alarmed with uh, with a few mental health statistics which is which is very alarming and i just uh, it's a depressing way to share about it but about 26% <laughs> of americans uh, above the age of 18 have some kind of a mental illness which is a diagnosable wow. mental disorder which is about 78 to 85 million people in the country half wow. of the chronic mental illness begins by the age of 14 is the 10th leading cause of death in US suicide killing yourself is the 10th leading cause of death in United States third wow. leading cause of death between the between the age of 10 and 24 and second leading cause of death between the age of 15 and 24 so i feel with our children with our young adults we are missing a link about how to talk about what is the purpose of human life women right. are more likely to kill themselves and hurt themselves four times more likely than men so mm. i think i think there is a, there was a need where we need to really go back and understand and talk about mental health from a very different perspective and i think talking about it from from a vedic perspective was the need of the hour Uh, that's such a really lovely summary, and what I wanted to comment on is, is I really, uh, I really appreciate, um, as you were saying, both in in yoga and Ayurveda, which are the two of the Vedic sciences that I'm most familiar with, is they they really are truly holistic, and I know that's an overused word, but really involving all aspects of our being, body, mind, and spirit, and. I have seen in you know many yoga studios that it really as you were saying really focuses just on the body and it really loses the context of the broader spiritual uh, container I guess you could call it um that that really is the root you know of of these ancient teachings and and also um is is very powerful you know to set it within the context of the spirit and I think the uh, mental health data that you just gave is very um alarming and also um really kind of inspiring in that there's uh, there is such a need and this is an opportunity to um help to um help help people you know with that so you incorporate data counseling i know in your uh, in your practice so what benefits do you see to your patients um when you do that Well I think it's a it's a very interesting and dynamic process as we talk about it because um, uh we as healers or uh, medical practitioners uh, when we communicate with people uh, it's not that uh, we are just telling you what to do but uh, we are healing ourselves in the process of how we communicate with our clients so it's a it's a very dynamic process which is which is in two different ways that it can go uh you attract the kind of clients that you need to um overhear yourself telling others what to do that's mm. number one where uh, some of the challenges that you have growing up are also uh, healings at the same time while you're talking to your clients and the second aspect which is really important is that uh, when you're communicating uh, you're communicating not only what is going on right now but what the person sitting in front of you is is the end result of all the conditioning that they have had all their life their parenting skills that they were exposed to the kind of family they were born in 
raised into their material needs, their attitude, their social norms, whether they had the right kind of role models, uh, and the new advent of social media, which is which um, is is a terrible thing for very tender nervous systems at a very young mm-hmm. age before the age of twenty, when they're exposed to this huge field of roller coaster ride of emotions. And I see a lot of these things and these clients in my practice. So when we communicate with all of these things from a Vedic counseling perspective, the treatment becomes really effective. You slowly start developing your own intuitive skills as a healer because you're tapping into something really big and uh, wonderful, which is coming from uh, almost a field of divinity, I would say. And what you're creating, a treatment protocol, which is absolutely pure. In Vedic terms, we call it a Shuddha Chikitsa. Shuddha is purification. And you embark upon physical purification, which is Sharir Shuddhi. You embark on uh, mental and emotional purification, which is Manas Shuddhi. And ultimately, the purpose is towards Moksha or Moksha Dai and Ananda Dai, where cultivating a feeling where you can you can allow people to understand the non-sensorial happiness, which is not uh, totally limited only with how your senses can enjoy things. So I think there's a new paradigm, which is which is evolving constantly. And the new paradigm is all about uh, holistic counseling. The, uh, the paradigm is all about what you can do in, in terms of um, uh, the changing norms of modern uh, life as such. Uh, it's all about wellness. Uh, it is all about understanding the value of health, which is a mere byproduct of enlightenment. Uh, we talk about green revolution. We talk about organic and sustainable living. Uh, so when we come to talking and communicating to our patients and clients, the counseling techniques have to be life-encompassing. There has to be mm-hmm. trust and faith and mutual respect between the patient and uh, the doctor or the healer and the healer, I would say. Because uh, in a standard medical setting in Laurel, you have been practicing medicine for such a long time and you have seen it all. And many times in a standard medical consultations, we really don't talk a whole lot about stress. Where is it coming from? Whether it is coming from financial distress, relationship, jobs, addictions, personality challenges, what kind of emotional burden they carry, whether they are aware of what their life purpose is, the time constraints, the high pace of life. And in a standard medical consultation, you really really don't get time to talk about it. So once you open right. uh, a Jyotish chart or a Vedic astrology horoscope, it really opens a whole segment of life. And I think that mm. is the goodness about Vedic counseling. Mm. Now that's, uh, that's uh, uh, just a great description of what, it, of what uh, Vedic approach can bring. And uh, of course, um, rooted, as we were saying, you know, not just in the body, but in body, mind, and spirit, which is, um, which I think is is uh, something that's really sorely needed. So, in your book, you mention that the first thing Vedic counseling teaches us is that our lives are a product of our own action or karma. And um, I think this is a um, concept that is maybe familiar to some people. Um, in the United States, but I think it gets translated more as a, um, I don't know, punishment from God or something like that, and not necessarily, a, you know, in a positive way. So, how do you define karma? 
Well, I think uh, <clears throat> karma is a, is a loaded word, and uh, as any other Sanskrit word, it takes uh, uh, many paragraphs and many pages to even describe about it. But uh, karma is, is simply understood as the amalgamation of where you are coming from, from your previous lifetimes, from previous conditioning, and the actions that have affected. We always talk about from Vedic perspective, there are two segments of atma or the soul. One is called as paramatman and the other is called as jivatman. Jivatma is an individual soul or self. And so right. when you are, you are born, you have uh, a genetic code and you have the DNA of the soul, which is the karma that it brings. So you attract the, the right kind of wombs that you want to be born of and the life you want to create. So you are bringing something with you, which could be loosely understood as a karma. And uh, um, my, my co-author, Vamadeva Shastri, likes to talk about um, our karma as, as the DNA of our soul, as the body has a particular genetic code, the soul has a particular karmic code he likes to talk about. And I think it's, it's all about the previous life's habits, tendencies, influences, desire that has kind of set in motion for many birth uh, samskaras, as we say. And you are you are uh, you are born in the same family. You might same share the same uh, womb as such, but that is that is more related to the genetic code. But where you are coming from and what kind of karma you bring is the kind of things that you unfold. And that's the reason why we integrate uh, Vedic astrology in a Vedic counseling setting because um, you can you can understand where they are coming from from their parents. But uh, a Jyotish chart will actually give you a very clear understanding about about their karmic journey and it's not a helpless way of thinking and this is a very interesting point that i would like to clear because many times we actually uh, look at either jyotish or anything else as more uh, fortune telling or deterministic something but uh, this is such a dynamic way of shifting changing bringing your awareness to certain things it is something where you are you are allowing yourself to shift and change so karma, wherever it is coming from, and um, pardon me if I am I'm getting too technical here in terms of um, in terms of describing the karmas that we talk about, because there are um, uh, four types of karma that we talk about from a Vedic tradition. Mm-hmm. One is called a sanchit. Sanchit is something that can be one's collective karma from their past incarnations, if you would say, which simply means they are all. Uh, blended together and reflects the collection of everything that you have brought with you. Prarabdha is the second time of karma. Karma, prarabdha karma, has to do with a specific karmic lesson that an individual is ready to experience in this lifetime. So what you are going to unfold. Sanchit karma is what you have in the bank and prarabdha is what you are going to spend. So this is the portion of the collective Sanchit karma that can be experienced as a person's destiny or the fate, you can say, in what you are going to do. But there are two other types of karma which are so important, and I would like to bring everybody's awareness to that. One is called as Kriyamana. Kriyamana karma is created. This is something how you live, what you say, how you think, is exactly you are also creating karma. And that creating karma is with your current actions in this lifetime. You can, you can call it as your free will, um, what you're doing, and that free will, what you do, also dissipates some of the challenges that you brought from the previous lifetime, but also mm-hmm. creates a positive bank balance for your future lifetime. And as um, 
Swami Yukteswar once said, the first lesson of the spiritual path is, uh, is to learn to behave. And once you start to learn to behave, once you have an enlightened lifestyle, like as Umaji likes to say, is, is it is a two-way process. It mitigates some of the challenges that you brought with, and it actually improves what you're going to experience hereafter. And the last right. one is called as Agam Karma, which is created by how we envision the future. So related with how your actions that are contemplated as you plan your work, as a result of your personal insight, intuition, um, uh, as, as Buddha said, as we think, so we create our world. So I think this is all related with this aspect, and this is, I think, Vedic um, template and all the sciences of Vedic tradition talk about these two different types of karma, drida and adrida. Drida is something fixed, and adrida is something non-fixed. So you you may be born with a hole in the heart, but what can you do about it is the adrid karma. And adrid karma is the actions that you take uh, which you can alter and change the course of it. So the purpose of Vedic counseling is you may, you may see someone's chart which might have some limitations or difficulties or challenges, but how you communicate about it, how you inspire them, how you motivate them, how you want to uh, not allow them to be to be fixated with the limitations what they have in their chart and their life, but allow them to help them understand their skill sets or their potential that they can do. And focusing on the right areas, what they are good at, is something very important. And I think that's exactly what we do in a standard Vedic counseling. Right. Yeah, I think that uh, the dis- the uh, uh, distinction that you made between the fixed and the non-fixed is really an important one because I, I do think that the rudimentary understanding that is most it, that most people have about karma, as you're saying, it's you know it's this loaded word, and a lot of it is about guilt and shame. You know, it's like what did I do to bring on you know this cancer diagnosis? What did I do? You know that that sort of thing, um, and it it's. To say the least, that doesn't really add anything <laughs> to, to the person's ability to cope. And so this idea of, you know, that, that, um, how we, you know, just react to what is, um, that, that, that's the non-fixed part. And that as we, as you were saying, clean up, you know, the way that we, um, you know, the way that we live, that can really alter, uh, things going forward. Um, and unbelievably, yeah, interestingly, we can use karma and kriya as synonyms sometimes. Mm-hmm. That right. They are both meaning actions, but actions, kriya is, yes. is a dynamic action which can uh, mitigate your karma. So karma is more kind of a druda nature to it, something which is kind of set in stone. But kriya is in motion. And that dynamic action that you do on an everyday basis can slowly mitigate uh, the challenges that you are born with. Oh, lovely. Really lovely. And with that, we have come to the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Dr. Suhas, who is an Ayurvedic physician, teacher, and co-author of the book we are discussing today, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling. You can find out more about his books, teaching schedule, and clinic at his website, ayurvedichealing.net. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about the wisdom of the Vedas. So stay with us. We'll be 
Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Kintsugi is an ancient Japanese art form of fusing broken pottery pieces together by filling the cracks with gold. The resulting piece is not only restored and visually stunning, it also takes on a new life. Whatever has happened in the past, however broken we may feel, we can be whole again by filling our lives with the transformative power of God. Our experiences make us unique. The presence of God makes us whole. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember, with God, all things are possible. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word magazine. Finding time for the positive reminders in Daily Word is easy with the digital edition, perfect for smartphones and readers on the go. Take advantage of our 30-day free trial to the online magazine, plus a daily email with the Word for the Day and the Daily Word app. To sign up for a free 30-day trial, visit unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central. 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Dr. Suhas. And we're talking about his book, uh, which he co-authored with Dr. David Frawley, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling. So, Dr. Suhas, your book is so packed. There's so much wisdom uh, in the book that it was really difficult for me to choose a, a, a sort of a, a selection of things to talk about. But what I thought we'd start with is happiness. And so let's let's start with that. So happiness is something that I think you can safely say pretty much everyone wants. Um, although most people haven't really stopped to look at their definition of happiness and how it is that they're going about, you know, trying to get more of it. So Usually, uh, there's, you know, some link with something in the outer world. So we may think if I can just have this, whatever it is, this car, this relationship, this job, then I'll be happy. 
But if we can look at this more closely, we find that the new car we bought several years ago, which we were so excited about, uh, is now starting to break down. Now we have to bring it to the garage more. So it's really not quite as much of a source of happiness for us as it used to be. And I think what we really want is we want lasting happiness. And as the Vedas tell us and yoga philosophy, you know, tells us, um, that kind of happiness really only comes from within and is in fact part of our essential nature. It's an aspect of our essential nature because the Vedas teach us that bliss or ananda is a characteristic, that bliss, that happiness, that inner happiness, that feeling happy really for no reason is a characteristic of our true nature. So when you work with people, how do you approach this? How do you encourage people to begin to look within for their happiness? Well, and one of the common thing, and beautifully said, Laurel, one of the common thing that we talk about, happiness is just a state of mind is something that everyone desires, uh, but how do we find happiness is still a mystery, and what makes us happy is still a mystery. And the simplest notion is that the senses that we have through which we experience happiness uh, is a kind of an illusion in itself. So the senses can be a blessing and it can be a curse because uh, it kind of constantly gives us momentary happiness. It doesn't really create a lasting happiness. So many times... Transcending the senses is one of the best way to find happiness for no good reason. Because I see constantly uh, people trying to find something in, in their relationship, in their money, in their material needs that will make them happy. But when we have explored and exhausted all the tools that bring us kind of momentary happiness, the only path that is left is the road to enlightenment. And when we transcend the limitations of our senses to connect with our cosmic self, which is your immortal self, which is untouched by the challenges of life. And that is the abundant reservoir of non-sensorial bliss, as we call it. And we call it Satchat Ananda. Sat yes. is, is absolutely pure, clean. Chit is the conditioning that you create in your mind to connect with with the greater field of happiness. So I think this is this is very important. And as we teach um, uh, at the Kriya Yoga Center, is is all about meditation. It's all about right. mindful uh, awareness of who you are, what do you want, how can you uh, expose your senses to a balanced way? Because many times, um, improper use of the senses actually bring us more misery. So the way we learn to control them, not withdraw them completely, but control them and regulate them to a certain extent and use everything in a balanced uh, way properly, because from an Ayurvedic perspective, sensorial indulgence is the root cause of many diseases. And right. that's the first step. Even Patanjali talks about it. Understanding that is, is the key. So... Uh, it is it is a state of mind. Mind gets his information from the senses. Senses are the gateways of the perception. So how you can do that in order to find that sukha or that field of happiness is mm-hmm. is the the feeling of dispassionate detachment or vairagya as we yes. talk about. And mm-hmm. this is this is the field from where uh, you are connected with the spontaneous fulfillment of all your desires. Because senses do not do that, but once you transcend that, then you're connected with the reservoir where your intentions and everything is coming back to you. And I think that's where you don't really have a roller coaster ride, but you're feeling much more stable, healthy, and happy and active all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, meditation because it certainly has been a really key practice for me and really helps me to listen to the inner guidance uh, that I get from my higher true self, which, frankly, it can be a pretty quiet voice <laughs> uh, sometimes in the in the. Um, Bible is called the still small voice, you know, within. So I think um, meditating and turning our attention within and really tuning into that um, inner sense. And then the more that you meditate, the more that you realize if there's a uh, a discontinuity in your life, you know, so um, it's very difficult to, you know, live, um, you know, totally not paying attention to spiritual principles and then come and, and meditate. I think the more that you meditate, you start to see it, it starts to awaken the inner light. And and the book, your book, um, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling really talks about this, how that's one of the goals of Vedic counseling is to bring forth that inner light from within people so they begin to you know monitor themselves and monitor is a bad word so they begin to become aware um, be more mindful uh, because if you have these experiences in meditation of that unitary uh, consciousness it then it, it if it if it uh, is a repeated experience it just can't help but change the way that you live um, that you know we are all really one and that you have that experience in meditation it changes how you relate to your fellow human beings um, so I'm really glad that you had mentioned the meditation because because when when the mind is directed inward that is yoga and when it is directed outward that leads to bhoga which is insatiable desires and if you keep on doing bhoga, it leads to roga, which is diseases. So uh, in Sanskrit, these three beautiful words, yoga, bhoga, and roga, they are uh, in, in a way very direction-oriented. If you go inward, you are in a state of yoga. If you go more and more outward and more disconnected from your own body and mind, then you are in the field of um, material needs which is going to be very difficult to fulfill and constantly lead to more sickness and sufferings and diseases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as we've just been talking about happiness, so we've been talking about a big principle, you know, how looking at happiness and, and really questioning, you know, what is it that makes us happy and potentially starting to turn our attention within and bringing up that, you know, inner light. Um, one of the, um, you know, one of the other things that your book really pro- provides is a tremendous amount of detailed advice on a very, you know, nuts and bolts kind of level. So let's turn now to talking about, you know, one of those areas, um, which I enjoyed reading about, uh, which you call uh, behavioral rejuvenation, or the Sanskrit is achara a rasayana. And so what is this? What is behavioral rejuvenation and, and why is it important? I, I really like this idea of rejuvenation and it's something that that I don't think Western medicine really uh, knows how to focus on. So I think it, it, it really is um, worthy of our discussion to see, well, what is it that, uh, that, that the Vedas and uh, Ayurveda can really provide here? 
Well, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting point, and that is a kind of a strength in in many of these uh, Vedic traditions where they talk about achar rasayana. Achar simply means behavior, and even in modern medicine, we have been talking about behavioral medicine, where understanding that how you think, how you behave, how you act, how you generate thought has has a far-reaching implication on how your immune system is behaving, how your nervous system is behaving, how your even gut is behaving. So I think it's it's leading to um, a much more balanced state of physical, mental, emotional, sensorial, and even environmental health, which creates a kind of a dependence of all these mind, body, and spirit with the cosmic reality. So uh, this is a rasayana which doesn't really cost you anything. It is something that you can practice any place, anywhere. It is good for all ages. It's good for all body types. And that's, that's the virtue that uh, the classical Ayurvedic texts actually talk about. And these mm-hmm. principles of Achar Rasana are much more relevant than before. And they will straighten out many of the kinks that we have in our nervous system. And they may sound very, um, very moralistic or high, high bar to achieve, but I would just like to run through some of those things. Is, is uh, a lifestyle which is full of truthfulness, something which is honest and sincere way of thinking and communication, minimizing anger and understanding where is it coming from and what makes you angry and minimizing uh, situations where you are not getting angry that easily. Uh, staying away from unwanted alcoholic beverages and exposure, which will confuse and cloud your mind and mentality. Uh, uh, doing something in a balanced way. Uh, observing nonviolence, which is kaya, vacha, and manasa, which is physical, mental, and verbal nonviolence, where you're not hurting anyone, even with your words, thoughts, speech, and actions. Um, try to minimize uh, overexertion, where not going overboard with anything trying to be as calm and as peaceful in mind. And the best way to accomplish that is spending time in nature. When you are um, uh, looking at the ocean from mountain cliffs or when you are in the woods, um, your mind automatically becomes very, very peaceful. Try to purify your language and speech and communication where you are priyavadina. Priyavadina is you are speaking the sweet truth. You are not hurting others by your speech. You are not being harsh and too blunt. Um, you're always trying to understand the, the creator behind this creation and trying to connect yourself. So uh, understanding the divinity in everything, understanding the godliness and trying to remember and cherish that connection. Try to lead a pure lifestyle, which is physical cleanliness and mental and emotional cleanse. Patience, mm-hmm. cultivating mm-hmm. a virtue of patience, creating mm-hmm. discipline doing something which is more related with charity, helping others. Uh, and it's not just writing charity checks, but your speech, words, and action, trying to make difference in other people's life. Try to minimize your needs by leading an austere life. Try to be respectful to your, uh, to your elders and teachers and, and uh, people who, who command respect. And try to be nonviolent, not to be cruel to anyone else. More importantly, right. you're eating clean and pure foods. And right. if at all you are able to do some of these things, you are able to do that in a balanced way. Even in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says balance is the key in your diet, routine, lifestyle, sleeping, waking up habits. If you can maintain that, that's the yoga of life. Mm. Yeah. 
Really, uh, you just did a wonderful kind of summary of the uh, yamas and niyamas, or at least most of them. I think you got in there, you know, harmlessness, you know, truthfulness, oh, and yeah. cleanliness, and all of those. So um, I, I love this idea, though, that when you do these behaviors, it actually is mentally rejuvenating. And when I what I thought was interesting is that there's actually evidence now, as you were pointing out, Dr. Suhas, the you know the whole area of behavioral medicine and psychoneuroimmunology that really looks at the release of positive um, hormones, positive, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, markers in the body when we have these kind of behaviors. So it, it, there is a science behind it that the West has, and obviously, um, this is an area that's been picked up too by positive psychology. You know that that these things can be um, that they can uh, obviously not only make us feel better through these hormonal pathways, um, but uh, it, it's living in that consistent way with the highest inner realization that we have, um, you know, for example, for harmlessness, if we really are all one and we begin to live in that way and treat each other like, you know, uh, from that uh, spot, it actually then folds into uh, the the uh, um, awakening that inner light and um, has a positive um a positive feedback loop in your meditation where it can deepen your meditation because you're bringing your meditation into your life and then your life then feeds back, you know, into your meditation. So. It's, a, it's a beautiful point that you bring up at the Chopra Center. We actually did a very interesting study where we had a bunch of people who had cardiovascular disease and were prone for heart disease with vascular inflammation. And we encouraged them to do uh, a gratitude-based prayer at the, at the end of the day before they slept they actually practice uh, gratitude meditation. And mm-hmm. after just having uh, this emotional feeling of being grateful for yourself, for your life, for uh, others in your life, and how you are feeling grateful for, for everything that you have in your life, slowly starts reducing all the inflammatory markers. And within 30 days, there was a drastic reduction in most of the inflammatory markers in these people. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so exciting. You know, that kind of research is really, um, I mean, I think it makes sense to those of us who practice meditation and try and and practice a yogic lifestyle uh, that, I mean, we feel different. You know, we feel our, you know, our minds are clearer. There's more of that, you know, inner, um, inner peace and calm and, and that, that that would have a, an actual biochemical difference. I think is not that much of a stretch of the imagination, you know, that, that we can say, oh, yeah, of course, you know, I feel so different that 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 must be from, you know, that must be affecting also the, the physical body. So let's turn to this idea that you talk about in the book of psychological immunity, which was another thing that I that I enjoyed reading about. So what is this psychological immunity and, and how does it relate to this idea of resilience, which I think all of us really like to feel resilient, like to feel that we can kind of uh, go with the flow, um, that we can bounce back from these uh, setbacks that we may encounter. Uh, so, so what is psychological immunity and how does it relate to resilience? I think it's a very interesting question, Laurel, because we often talk about immunity where you try to build your immune system for defense against allergies or uh, underactive immune system. You take vitamin C, this and that. All, everybody talks about that, but nobody actually talks about uh, manas sattva or the psychological 
psychological immunity, where psychological immunity is most of the diseases and unhappiness begin with a breakdown in our psychological immunity and inner composure. And uh, the manas sattva is our ability to handle stress, strain, conflict, and many difficulties that are totally unavoidable in hectic modern lives. And many times when you lose this psychological immunity, and this is an important point because um, uh, according to modern medicine, we used to say that immune system is out there and the nervous system is, is down there. But nowadays, we can't tell the difference between nervous system and immune system. We talk right. about immune system as a circulating nervous system. So everything that goes into your mind affects your immune system. Anything mm-hmm. goes to boost your immune system, physical or mental, is going to boost and create stability in your nervous system. So many times when you have a breakdown in psychological immunity, you actually become more angry, fearful, anxious, irritable, agitated, aggressive, and you, you slowly create an emotionally imbalanced way of thinking and behaving for a shorter time and for a longer time. So uh, I, I use this word psychological immunity with the understanding that resilience is the next way to really build the reservoir because uh, as life goes on, we all have some, some difficulties and challenges that we are all exposed to and making sure that we create that resilience where very quickly we are able to rise above the limitations and challenges that we have uh, will actually create a feeling through which we are able to maintain much more easily the inner composure and uh, quietude as such. So uh, understanding that, and we talk about PTSD a lot about something bad happened and then you're not able to recover from that. But Mm -hmm. helping them understand the futility of life, uh, where we are coming from, how we experience pain and suffering, uh, and give them a kind of a roadmap for realistic plan and taking steps to carry out, understanding um, to boost their own self confidence and self-esteem, finding out what their strengths are, skill sets are, what their potential is all about, improving their communication for finding someone to talk about, and ability to manage strong feelings through meditations, through satsanga, through group yoga practice. Um, If they have the family support, uh, talking to them, guiding them, uh, and uh, and community-based services like what we see at Center of Spiritual Excellence is is that, that group activity and faith-based organizations are wonderful ways to create the support system that people will feel to boost their psychological immunity because um, you are able to actually um, get over the insurmountable problem that you see with a little bit of support and guidance. And once you have created that, you have this cellular memory in yourself where your ability to decide, your ability to rise above those things slowly starts getting better. So you are boosting psychological immunity. And we often tell, and I often tell my patients, just go and do some group yoga classes. And they say that I have this problem. And I said, yes, when you go bend, twist, and turn, uh, you will not only have a flexible body, but you will have a flexible mind. And yeah. <laughs> uh, you will use your body to quiet your mind. And many times we actually hold uh, grudges and resentments and stress patterns in our structural uh, nature of our body. So opening up those srotas and pathways through which the prana flows more easily, I think it's a wonderful way of, of um, uh, creating, cultivating this psychological immunity. Mm. Yeah, that was uh, um, 
a, a, a beautiful description, I think, of of this idea of psychological immunity and also the um, the uh, capacity of resilience. And you mentioned a couple of the strategies for building resilience, and I, I don't think we have time right now to go into them all, but there's actually quite a long list in the book in addition to making connections, as you said, um, you know, having the uh, ties to a community, um, avoiding seeing crises as insurmountable problems, um, a- accepting change, continuing to move toward your goals, etc. So there's a bunch of information uh, in your wonderful book. And I did want to keep these last couple of minutes of the program because uh, we only have about two or three minutes left. And I wanted to give you a chance to uh, talk about the Vedic Counseling Program uh, that you have uh, at your center, and then also um, any last little word of uh, advice or encouragement, inspiration that you would want to leave with our listeners. Well, I think uh, <clears throat> it's it's very important to cultivate awareness and happiness towards a positive, healthy lifestyle. I'm very, very happy uh, with the work Umaji is doing for Center of Spiritual Excellence. She's also on the faculty of Ayurvedic Healing Institute, and uh, she offered uh, a, a wonderful webinar to our students who are studying Vedic counseling, and people are so happy and pleased the way she presents uh, this very complicated abstract topic of Vedantic wisdom. And mm-hmm. I think we have a wonderful course, which is to become a certified Vedic counselor, and you can go to my website, uh, ayurvedichealing.net, and find out more about it. It's a course which is approved by National Ayurvedic Medical Association. We are slowly evolving into a kind of a vocational practice of becoming Vedic counselor for those people who are Ayurvedic students and teachers, those people who are yoga teachers. So at our Meru Institute, the students who are graduating, who are also yoga teachers and meditation teachers, this is a perfect way to actually use life coaching skills using Vedic counseling. So I would invite almost everyone. It doesn't have to be that you have to be a professional to study this. Anyone can come and study this for their own uh, needs, for themselves, for their friends and family. So <laughs> I think it's a wonderful way of, uh, it's a vast topic, but we are unfolding it in a such simplistic way. The book is serving as a template, but we are blending the ancient and modern counseling techniques, the spiritual art of counseling, and more importantly, everything that we talk about nowadays in modern counseling lingo, whether you talk about neuro-linguistic programming, positive feedback loops, whether you talk about nonviolent communication, all of those, they are, they are nothing but some simple uh, versions of Vedic wisdom, how you communicate. So you have to become a stronger magnet in this reaction. You have to become uh, a better capable, intuitive person doing your own sadhana and your own practice to be able to heal people with your speech, mm. words, thoughts, and actions. And mm. <clears throat> that is a kind of a tool that we will develop simultaneously as we learn and deepen our own awareness towards this. Well, Dr. Suhas, thank you so much. This has been just a delightful conversation, and I think we we succeeded in our original goal, which was showing that there is this tremendous wisdom from the Vedas, and it really does apply to our modern life. So um, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, and we've been discussing Vedic Counseling, Universal Wisdom for Health and Happiness with special guest Dr. Suhas Shursagar. 
Ayurvedic physician, teacher, and author of the books, The Hot Belly Diet, and then co-author with Dr. David Frawley of the book we've been talking about today, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling. So once again, thank you so much, Dr. Suhas, for joining us. Thank you, Laurel. So you um, listeners can also note that there is a previous episode with Dr. Suhas in the Yoga Hour archives at unity.fm from September 25th, 2014 called Rekindle Your Life, Stoke Your Digestive Fire. And you can just uh, look at that. Um, and the best way to find it is just enter uh, Suhas, actually, is all you need to, to enter, S-U-H-A-S, and it brings up that episode if, in this, if you enter Suhas in the search bar. So join us next week for the program Live Your Authentic Life, when I will be joined by Toinette Lippi, author of Caught in the Act, Reflections on Being, Knowing, and Doing. We're going to be talking about the search for an authentic life and the humility and courage that allows us to live fully. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition, which welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization. And uh, the center is located in San Jose, California, and teacher teachings are also offered globally through online programs. For more information about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit csecenter.org. And remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher and share it with your friends. If you're enjoying the program, please tell your friends as well. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team. Uh, regular host, founder, and director, Yogacharya O'Brien, the assistant directors, Nita Kenyon and Hayes, Sean Smith, and then, as always, Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at Unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace. 
and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Have you heard the quote, dream lofty dreams, and as you dream, so shall you become? Your vision is the promise of what you shall one day be. Do you have a dream that you've put on the shelf because it seemed too good to be true for you or out of reach? I hope you'll consider resurrecting that dream because you'll never really be happy until you at least try. The great visionary Walt Disney once said, All of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. At Unity, we believe that you have the power within you to realize your dreams by applying the proven spiritual principles we share. You will learn how to become the joyous, dynamic, fulfilled person you're meant to be. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Do you experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 